Blog Talk Radio. Ray and Tay today. Yes, Sports Radio's on, talking sports with friends, and you know we got it on from the NFL to the NBA, MLB and college hoops do it all day, college football, we know who's number one, understand, on the phones, you know we get it done, so call in 718-664-9098 and we'll give you more. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Ray and Tay today, and I'm Ray Tall Rayside. And I'm Tay Eric Taylor. It is Friday. The finals are here. It's going to be fun. We have a lot of sports to talk about. Give us a call, 718-664-9098. Like always, Today at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts about maybe the most beautiful funeral I, I might have ever seen or anybody's ever seen with Ali. Uh, you know, finals, NBA, Stanley Cup final, the Belmont Stakes. We lose a hockey giant in Gordie Howe. We're talking about it. So, like always, check out RayandTayToday.com. And we want your calls. So, let's have some fun. Ray, we say goodbye to a, to a giant. And I think it's a, a great place to start, you know, as he rests in power and rests in peace. The best thing that I saw, I mean, you know, I was in and out all day and honestly, I was blown away, you know, being on West Coast time in Scottsdale, Arizona, I'm three hours behind. So everything was on SportsCenter, basically 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. was the whole day of the funeral, the drive through Louisville, his neighborhood, his school, I mean, everything. And so I'm watching that at 7 a.m. And I got to say, I've never seen any funeral, let alone a a hero and a sports hero's funeral with every single faith, culture, and creed represented from child to adult. And, you know, I just wish, and and it made me realize that in life and in death, he's still the greatest because he was teaching all of us true love, compassion, kindness, and humanity and the stories from Billy Crystal to Brian Gumbel, Bill Clinton to his daughters and the poems and the just just the and just the people he's touched and traveled with, it just was breathtaking. And I just uh was overwhelmed, even brought me to tears, you know. It just it was amazing and I just uh I'm just thankful. Thankful that it, he we were in his lifetime and he was in our lifetime. And because of it, I think the whole world is a better place. So that's, that's my thoughts, man. I don't know if you get to see it or if you heard about it, any, any words on it? Yeah. So I have to admit, I haven't seen it. I've only heard it secondhand. So tonight I'll be YouTubing a lot of it, but just the reaction, you know, and the reaction from non-sports fans, you know, we all know and ESPN was covering it and, and, and that's fine. Uh, you know, obviously he was a sportsman first and foremost. Uh, you know, began his career as a as a boxer. They told a story about how he got beat up or or was challenging a kid at twelve years old. Yeah, Red bike. <laughs> so his bike got stolen, and he wanted to fight the guy. They said, "Well, you got to learn how to fight." So that is kind of the obvious storyline with the sports, but the impact around the world and with non-sports people and politics and religion and social justice and so many 
I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm closing my eyes and trying to envision in 50 years if there's going to be another person like there's that. No and I don't see that person. There I don't see no that person on the, you know, on the earth. So yeah. you know, there are people as great in their sport as he was from a achievement standpoint, right? So when Michael Jordan passes away, you know, there's going to be a lot talked about his achievement on the court. But I don't know that there's anybody currently, and I can't say there'll never be somebody in the future. Maybe that person hasn't been born yet. But if, if any of the current greats in any of the sports pass away, it won't be 20% of what just happened today and, and this whole week. So his impact beyond sports was just amazing. And it came at a time in the country's history and in terms of, you know, uh, there was the Vietnam War, there was racial tensions, there was everything that went on. And just to see the whole thing come full circle was pretty amazing. But I think, Ray, you said it, and that's why there will never be another like Ali because we don't have, right? It's like he was born sort of at the right time. And it's so poetic because they even brought it up today. It leads back to, remember, when that red bike was stolen, he went to a gym and it was a white police officer who opened up the gym and taught him about boxing. And so, you know, even his wife said that great greatness and, and, and what she say, something about dreams of wonder can happen when a police officer just has a conversation or talks to an inner city kid and how poetic and current and important is just that one thought today in our society with all that goes on. And I think with him being the gold medal in the six, you know, in the 60 Olympics and coming home and still facing segregation and can't eat here and couldn't do this, couldn't do that, you know, times have changed because of him. Right. So no, no athlete racially or anything else, has to face that type of disrespect and oppression. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, you know, it just, it was that time, that man and the world where we were at. And thankfully we're not there. And hopefully we never get that place ever again for any culture, creed, religion, faith, you know, gender, anything, you know, but it was just great. And then, you know, Billy Crystal, so great. And he talked about <laughs> the first time he met Muhammad. He's like, you know, I've got to like do some, you know, honor him and do this little thing. He's like, and he walks in and he's got like this glow around him, you know, <laughs> and Billy Crystal was so funny because a lot of people might not know, you know, he, and he said, honored Ali at like when Ali retired in the felt forum in front of 20,000 people and did like 15 rounds of, uh, you know, Ali's life. Uh, from like 18 to 36 with Cosell and he was doing both voices because you know Billy Crystal was great at imitating voices and did a great Ali and a great Howard Cosell and then he talked about how whenever he needed him he was there and vice versa and that Ali went to him you know to Israel for um, and I don't know if you know of it of a, this, I guess a Hebrew college where he do- donated and they helped raise money to fund the Hebrew Arts Center where interfaith uh, studies are done, where they put on performances with Jews and Palestinians and Muslims and just everybody all together creating plays and writing stories. And Ali, you know, helped raise money for that. And I just thought it was just so beautiful. And just, 
Uh, you know, you, you think of right at this moment, you think of Rodney King, right? And it's hard to believe it, but can't we just all get along, you know? And that that's just, it was just great. But Ray, we have to say goodbye to Gordy Howe. I mean, well, 88, so it's it's not, you know, it's not like it's Gretzky, younger, you know, but before there was a Gretzky, there was a Gordy Howe. And as, you know, we will get into the Stanley Cup final, which still lives on because of San Jose. Um, we, we lost a, a giant in, in hockey sport. You have a thought, a memory about Gordy Howe, who played five decades. I don't know if people yeah, know this- how amazing that is. You know, he made his bones for the Detroit Red Wings, Hockey Town mm-hmm. USA. But he also came back at age 52. He <laughs> was unbelievable and, you know, played for the Hartford Whalers. I can remember him back in the 80s. The thing that stands out to me about Gordie Howe is his longevity and his extended career of excellence. Yeah. Even a guy like Kareem, who was the leading scorer in the NBA, you know, his last few years of his career were, he was kind of hanging on, right? I mean, he still was a presence because he's 7'3". Gordie Howe played for 25 years, and it was just amazing. He, he left the sport, and then he came back, and he played until he was 52, which is unbelievable. The other thing that stands out about Gordie Howe is, beside his excellence, is he was a tough dude. People don't realize you know, nowadays you have enforcers and you have people to protect you. Back then, he protected himself. And so <laughs> you looked at the, the, you know, the penalty minutes and Gordy would mix it up. You know, there wasn't a, a pretty boy Gordy Howe. Gordy Howe would elbow you in the jaw and, you know, you'd take it, you'd give it, he'd give it back. So this guy really was an intense hockey player's hockey player. You know what I mean? Lost those teeth. He was a he was a tough, tough dude. And you're right. Before there was Wayne Gretzky, there was Gordy Howe. So and Ray, definitely to even lost have one of his the, greats. To have the the balls and the gall to come back in the eighties, and I remember that at fifty two, in my head at that time, right? Because you and I were Islander fans. Mike Bossy, the you know, Edmonton Oilers were getting ready to start their run as well. And it was just unfathomable, like, wait a minute, wait a minute a 52-year-old's playing hot, you know what I mean? Hot, any professional sport, but hockey. And so, you know, we, we, we definitely say a great uh, goodbye, thank you, and, and, and remember the great Gordie Howe. Real quick, before we get to the NBA Finals, just with some NFL stuff, listen, people can say whatever they want about Roger Goodell, but this week was crazy. It is unacceptable and unimaginable that somebody would hack the NFL computers and kind of even play the hoax that, you know, he had passed away and, you know, he put out a tweet, I guess I him playing golf or something. And so, you know, listen, you know, you know, everybody has their different feelings. I mean, he's a great man, done a lot of great things for the NFL. Even you and I sometimes disagree, but nobody, you know, that's not cool. So that's, you know, I just got to say that because, I mean, come on, it's, it's Roger Goodell. It's still sports, and he's a father and, you know, that type of stuff, right? But the contracts, if Von Miller is going to turn down $114 million, and we know NFL is funny money because, you know, we're talking guaranteed money, which is not up to Malik Jackson, Olivier Vernon, or uh, Andama Kinsu. I guess it was at 40. He wants 60 to 70. 
you know, those guys are in the fifties. Sue's like way up there, the biggest. What, where do you think, and will they get it done before July 15th or will he play under the franchise tag, which I think is risky for both of them. But where do you think it falls in line? And do you think they get a deal like they did with Demarius Thomas done before the 15th? Probably got to do it on the 14th because got to have them papers in, you know, the fax machine drama. You think the Broncos will make it work and sign probably the highest defensive contract ever with Von Miller, their best player. They should. I don't know if they will, but I have a feeling this is this is a game of chicken that's going to come down to the end. Um, I tell you what, though, I don't want to say he single-handedly, but he was one of the key components yeah. to winning that Super Bowl. And that offense is still a little shaky. Uh, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback. We don't know, you know, how explosive they'll be. Um, the defense is aging. And he is a young guy in his prime who was unstoppable. And all they need to do is look back at the Giants and see that the Giants won two Super Bowls based on defensive ends and and essentially rushing the matter. So uh, they better get it done. And both sides, you know, you don't want to see Von Miller go out there and be a free agent. I mean, I'm all for these guys maximizing their money, but – I like to see a guy win, win somewhere, build himself a dynasty, and, and you don't have to bounce around. So I, I hope they do figure something out. And, you know, it is funny with this NFL because they probably – the Broncos probably positioned it as, well, you know, we're giving you the most money ever offered to a, you know, a defensive player in the history of the league. Yeah, but in three years, four years, if you don't like my performance, you could just cut me. So <laughs> – that's so why, I need that I guaranteed need money because that's because that Ray, guaranteed. that's all that matters with NFL contracts. That guaranteed 100%. money. It's a one-way contract, so you you have to side with the player in terms of what's my guarantee. No, very true, very true. So let's talk about it, man. I mean, this is what I thought I could see and we could have in an NBA Finals from both teams and the Cavs. It's been, first of all, the weirdest NBA playoffs ever, right? A plethora of blowouts. Um, It's bizarre. Games one, two, and three, in any realm you want to break it down, have been, you know, measured of one level or a bigger level of blowouts, 30 points, 15 points, whatever. But what the Cavs did was not just getting that home cooking and your home bed and the energy and the role players, but I, I think they kind of brought the pendulum swing where some say the Warriors punked the Cavs, and then I think they kind of returned that serve. And I think the Cavs kind of punked the Warriors. And listen, it's not Kevin Love's fault, and he hasn't been cleared yet. I'm waiting to see. I don't know if you heard if the work came down, but as of five minutes ago, he was not cleared to play yet. So that's still we're waiting to hear. That's pretty fascinating. But, Ray – I mean, Richard Jefferson, you know, and there's somebody that people forget from Arizona, an athlete, you know, starting what I thought was most important about it. And I wanted Mozgov to start, start, but either way, my, my reason for whatever was saying, I need LeBron at the four because you make Draymond, who only scored six points because he had to worry about trying to stick LeBron, you make Draymond work and LeBron can attack the basket and Draymond can't stick him. 
You know what I mean? So to me, it's an important position. And I hope that they either stick with this lineup if Kevin Love comes back or, you know, figure out something. I don't think it's a disrespect for Love to start off on the bench. I don't care about salary. It's about, you know, doing whatever needs to be done for the team in this seven-game series, which is now four games left. So would you start Kevin Love? And the bigger question, are Steph and Clay going to wake up? You saw a little bit of Steph waking up, you know, that third quarter when he got his little 13-point, what they call it, the Curry Flurry. But are Steph and, and Clay, are they, I don't want to say choking, but what's wrong? Even the coach said, uh, Steph, are you all right? Is he all right, Ray? Steph Curry is hurt. And I said this. I'm like Dr. Ferdy Pacheco, back to the <laughs> Muhammad Ali days, right? I'm diagnosing this. I told you, I texted you in that Oklahoma City series at the end. You did. Steph Curry is hurt. I think at the end of the season, he's going to, at the very least, need rest. He might need some surgeries. Because I just feel like this guy is not the same Steph Curry as a month or two ago. Not, granted, every NBA player is banged up. Uh, but here's the difference. When you're LeBron James, you're 6'8", 240, 250, you can take more of a pounding. And this is their, what, 105th, 110th game. It adds up. And Steph Curry, to me, something is with his knee and his elbow. He's not, he's not right. Now, that's no excuses, and he, he's going to grind it out. So the combination of him not being healthy and the fact that his, Cleveland, for the first time, they've all committed to shutting him down. I've seen a team that actually has the will and the, and the skill to do it. You know what I mean? Igudala, uh, just like Igudala, Barnes, Green, all of them are guarding LeBron. All of the, the – when switch, We're losing you a little bit, Ray. Oh, you got me now? I got you now. Except for Kyrie, everybody else on Cleveland's perimeter is a pretty decent defender, right? Della Vidova is kind of a get-under-your-skin type of guy. Um, JR is long, right? Shump used to be a defensive stopper. LeBron is LeBron, right? So all of these guys can give Steph Curry problems, and Steph Curry's not healthy, so He's going to just be okay. He's not going to be the, the superstar Steph Curry. He might give you a Steph Curry flurry, as you say. Um, well, he will, he'll be late. affected defensively, but I think, listen, he, he, in the first half he had two points. He took it to the hole, got a nice layup or whatever. But I think he can still, you know, get some shots inside. But in terms of his shooting, I think he can still dribble and allure cats to get his own shot. It's just I think he's getting worked now because Kyrie's being aggressive. Once LeBron and Kyrie attack the hoop, it, it changes the whole series, right? Stop shooting jumpers and, and take it to the basket. Yes, but I think you have to find a combination, right? Because if you take it to the basket too much, then you get you draw in all the defense, you draw in the coverage, you shoot bad shots, you get these 11 to 30 shooting nights, right? And the other side is you're not going to hit 23 three-pointers like you did against Toronto. So I think they just have to find them. I think it's almost game by game. They, they have to find their groove and, and game by game. And as for the lineups, 
I'm all for mixing it up. You know, there's no reason. This Golden State team, we keep saying they're special. They're very unique. And if you need to start Tristan Thompson, start Tristan Thompson. If you want to start off with Kevin Love, just to change it up a little bit, do that. But keep Steve Kerr on his toes. Make Steve Kerr work. You know, make him make adjustments as well. Because ultimately, the, the basketball is a game of matchups. And for the most part, Golden State has been the dictator of those matchups. The dictator of the matchups, exactly. Well, listen, I think we got a call. Let's see if they, you know, want to chime in a little bit about what we have been seeing in the first three games and then even going into game four. Caller, you on there is Ray and Tay. What's your name? Where you calling what? from? What's up, y'all? This is Hank. What's going on? Big Hank in the house. Yeah, I hope you guys are doing well. Definitely doing well. Hank, real quick, because I, I know, you know, you're, you're, you're a big football and basketball guy, but you're a sports fan. I just wanted a quick thought. I don't know if you saw it today, but just a quick thought on Ali for you growing up and, and, and just his passing and, and what Ali might, might have meant to you as a sports fan and, as, oh. you know, just even as a human. Wow. Well, you know, it's funny. You know, I'm, I'm 46 years old, so I was born in 1970. So to be honest, the boxing part was not really a highlight for me. I mean, the, the, the biggest boxing matches that he's had were, you know, 74, 75, right? So yeah. when I was of age of really, really starting to watch sports, you know, he was basically fighting Larry Holmes. So the boxing part, to me was history. It was more of the man himself and clearly even at you know, even after he retired and at the end of his boxing career, he was a controversial person because of how he felt he wanted to be treated as a man, right? I mean yeah. it's and that that's what the you know, the impact of him was on me was here was a man who had opinions that, who was not afraid to say them, and if he got vilified for it, so be it. You know, it, it, it it's interesting because if you're my age, you knew he was a great boxer, but to, to me he was more of a political commentator and a social activist, which is what I carry Ali to be. Because, you know, he would tell you all the time, you know, yeah, sure, like, you know, America is going to tell me that I'm just not a, I'm just a guy, but I'm not, right? And, yeah. and not even to say, not even be you, like, not even say, oh, be you can't, all you can be. Say, I'm going to declare myself to be the greatest. And because I said it and I declared it, it makes it true. Not what the peers say or the media says or people who don't like me because of this or that. So right. He wasn't looking for that outside validation. He had that validation and confidence as a man and as exactly. an African-American man on his own. Yes. He didn't look at it. And that from, is, you know, yeah. No, that's huge. Yes, it was that huge. Is, 
that's a powerful, but that's a that's a powerful concept, right? To say, yeah, I know all these people in the world or your peers or the government or whoever, you know, they can think what they want, but you're going to declare something and you're going to stick to it. And that is what gives you worth and value. That, that should be, you know, again, all, all public figures and particularly African-American public figures are a lot more complex than what, you know, what they make them out to be. But, you know, he's really not only speaking for black men and women, he spoke it as more of a global citizen, right. which is what people don't don't give him credit for. You know, I think they will after today. Boxer. I think they will yes. after today. Yes. A lot of people will. Yeah. Yes. And that's what I take a, take away from it, right? Is like you know, I, I frankly am not really even a boxing fan, but I can admire the person and the self assurance that says, "Hey, world." I'm the greatest, and if you don't think so, that's on you. That that means a lot for a very young person who, you know, can have lots of people tell you what you're not, and you can declare what you yeah. are. Amen. Yeah. So what is Steph and Clay, right, in terms of, look, three games, and, and Ray will tell you, and he said it since OKC, that Steph is hurt, but he's playing, and so, you know, yada, 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 the old rule, you play, whatever. Yeah. But he's only got 48 points in three games. Clay has not right. been Clay of OKC. Do they show up back tonight and kind of close the door back on Cleveland? Or is Cleveland in this to make it a real series because of their confidence and, and almost that, right, Ali, the father of swag, that swag that they kind of yeah. have regained and refound? What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I I kind of feel bad for Cleveland a little bit, but the, the the thing that Golden State, you know, yeah, they can shoot and do all these things, but the the one thing that I think they do well, which lots of teams say they want to do but they never do, is the amount of effort that they give constantly through the entire game is taxing mentally and physically. And this is why I think LeBron – you know, this game is going to say a lot. I don't know if Cleveland can mentally have another game and keep up with Golden State like they had the last game three. It'll be interesting to see. That's a great you know, point. Yeah. Home court is great. You know, you come back to home court, you know, or singing the national anthem, you can get hyped up. You can sustain that for a game, right? But you can't sustain that intensity for for a seven-game series unless your team is very deep and all the players on your team are mentally tough. And, and that's what Golden State, I think, has more than any other team in the league. They got backup players that will just run with you constantly the entire game. Forget about the stars. Oh, definitely. So when I, the I said to Ray the other day, Hank, Sean Livingston, he could start – point guard for at least 10 to 13 teams and definitely for the New York Knicks. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And he's not there, you know, and his role is not to be a caretaker of the offense. He goes there and attacks. Same thing with Barbosa, right? Barbosa comes in there and attacks the rim. And if you just think that you can take, like, a few plays off or, you know, a few minutes off to kind of catch your breath and try to finish off straw, 
all of a sudden they'll run on you. I don't think that Cleveland has the personnel, whether it's Kevin Love, whether it's J.R. Smith, whether it's Imam Shumpert, whoever it is, I don't think they have the guns to play that hard physically and mentally for the entire 48 minutes of a seven-game series. I don't think they can do it. Let's see how much... Let's see how much home field carries them this game. But honestly, I I don't think they can do it. Now, that's a great point because, and this is what I kept saying, I said the formula for Cleveland is almost they have to replicate what they did in the last game, which is basically play from ahead and have the Warriors play hero ball and shoot a lot of threes and a lot of jumpers and hope that they miss because – once intensity comes down and you come from and you go from you know 100% intensity and you get down to 90 where you where you can sustain it for most of the game golden state is the deeper team the more talented offensively and the more the better defensive team so ultimately the more minutes you play the more the advantage goes to golden state so the way you need to do it you need to shorten the game and you need to play from ahead. And I don't think that Cleveland – Cleveland can't come back on Golden State like Golden State can come back on Cleveland, right? So Cleveland can't make up a 15-point deficit. So if they get yeah. down in the second quarter and the third quarter, the way Golden State defends, the way Golden State shoots, is they're hard to catch. And yeah. the Cavs – you know, this is very similar to what happened last year. Forget about the injuries. The injuries definitely – obviously hurt the Cavs, but they went to those two overtime games in the first two. They then, they probably thought they could have won both of them. And then yeah. eventually they just ran out of gas. They ran out of gas yep. because Golden State was just deeper and, and frankly, better. Right, right. But so, wait a minute. You're saying they ran out of gas last year, and I agree with you, but they didn't have two key offensive pieces that can help score the load. And let me tell you this. If Kyrie, and I think he is, and this is what I predicted, that he's sort of, he's ready to step in and, become, and come of age and show the world, and mentally it's in his head, I am not a point guard, I'm a scoring guard. And if he's in this to drop 30 another night, and JR, no, he doesn't go 5 for 10, but let's say he goes 4 for 11 from 3, and the role players score better, Jefferson's active, Shumpert's running around, you get Delhi. Tristan Thompson, just a, a monster. And that, I think, they can fuel again at home. Then you don't know, let's say, whether it's Kevin Love or, you know, whatever, but maybe it's LeBron decides that he's going to have a 39-point game. Look, I thought for them to win that game, and I said it on, on Monday's show, LeBron would have to do, I said, 38, 11, and 9. He did, what, 32, 10, and 6, so close to it. And I don't think that it's that crazy for him to do that again because, remember, he had a one-for-10 second quarter. I don't think he's going to have that type of crazy quarter. And to me, I totally agree with that premise, and they cannot come from behind. But I don't know if they'll have to get from behind because of the emotion, because of the importance of this game, and the fact that LeBron's got that second score with him, and let alone if Kevin Love plays and can, can, can contribute, which I think Tyron Lue... Has, is, at least is using him the right way, I feel with Kevin Love, he needs early touches. So for his mental bit, I would start Love, but for defensive purposes, 
If Love, I would have Love come off the bench and start Jefferson. I don't know which is better, but I know that LeBron's got much more help if Kyrie and Love are mentally engaged. They have the talent to do it, but I do think it is mental. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I hear you. I hear you, but I, I still come back to this notion that even even two. Kyrie and LeBron is not enough to take down Golden State. I mean, you need – Cleveland needs five or six guys to play almost their best games to win. They need Tristan Thompson to have the first half that, they, that he had. They need a guy like Smith or Shumpert and or Adela Vadova. Some, you know, they need three, four, five guys to put beyond LeBron and Kyrie to play out of their mind. And I think that's hard to do – you know, three more times. So we'll see tonight. I mean, they, you know what they should do? They should start getting I mean, ride the Ali thing, man. Get in there and be like, Ali Bumaye. Ali Bumaye. <laughs> Maybe they'll get some rumble in the jungle action going on. Uh, but we'll see tonight. I mean, the other – to me, it's not the first half. It's going to be the second half. I think, I think Cleveland is going to be sky high the first half. And as long as Golden State is close, I think Cleveland is in trouble. Cleveland really needs to have a dominant first half like they did last game and then carry it on to the second half. No, you're, you're right. You're right. You know what LeBron does, though? Yeah. He lets the other players get involved, and he plays the point guard in the first half. And I think LeBron's going to give you plus 20 points in the second half alone. At halftime, LeBron's going to have 7 to 11 points and he's going to be dropping 20 in the second half because he plays so much energy. And, you know, like you said, Hank, great point about Golden State because it is strength in numbers, and they give you such activity um, in terms of their offensive cutting, defensive intensity. But you didn't see that in game three, so let's see if they can turn that back on. But, you know, now that they've been punched in the mouth, always in the playoffs, Golden State, after they get punched, they're good at punching back. But I just think... I think Kyrie's going to have that. I think the crowd will carry the others, you know, the, the quote-unquote others. And I, I think LeBron's going to save that. You know, he might give you that, uh, the Boston game. He might give you the Detroit game. You know, I, I just, I can see a 20-point 20, 20 half, 25-point half, a 15-point quarter. I just, I think LeBron can do it because they don't, if he plays aggressive and goes to the hole, and, you know, he looks like he's in better health. You know, you saw him in Toronto dunking. And even that game last night, that alley-oop, I took a picture of it. That's like an old-school poster. Remember when cats used to have posters in their room? Now I guess it's fatheads for little kids. But <laughs> that LeBron alley-oop was a poster, yo. And I think he's got in him. You know? We'll see. It, it should be fun. It should be fun. Yeah, I'd like to see. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, you know, I'd like to see LeBron's intensity, you know, leak out to someone else on his team for the whole game. Because you know how these guys are. I mean, a couple of bad plays, you know, by Shumpert where he turns the ball over or, you know, he's not aggressive defensively and guys get open looks, you know, Golden State can put up points in a hurry. So, they they got to keep up mentally, and let's hope they do. Because I want to see a series. You know, I don't want Golden State just going there, you know, and 
beat him down. You know what I mean? I want to see his theory. So this game's going to be critical for that. You know, I, I'd like to see – ultimately, the game gets decided by the players, right? But I still am curious to see the tactical game within a game that the coaches are going to play. So I want to see what these two – Frankly, young coaches, right? Steve Kerr doesn't have that much experience as a coach. He's only been his second year. Obviously, he's had two great years. Uh, and then Tyron Lue, you know, a longtime assistant, but young guy himself, first first half year as a head coach. I want to see what these guys do. I want to see if they get bold and make some crazy moves and almost desperation like you saw with Billy Donovan in the semifinals, right? In the conference finals, I should say. Uh, you know, matchups, go big, go small. Uh, you know, tit for tat. I'm, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the coach's angle of this game too. Yeah. Because to me, this game means everything to Cleveland. Because if Cleveland loses this game, they're oh, going to lose in five. Right. It's or over. Six, maybe, but what about five, right? Hank, what about maybe even giving a little bit more love to Tim O'Fay because of the fact that, okay, look, Bogut didn't show up last game, but if he does show up this game. To me, the one thing that I, I always felt about Mozgov, and maybe he's sort of you know out of the rotation for multiple reasons, they're falling in love with the three and faster and better rotation. But Mozgov can hit a jumper on a pick and pop, uh, you know, from the pick and roll. He can you know bring the big man out, create you know driving lanes for LeBron and Kyrie. But he also can in the post draw some fouls and get some points. He blocks shots. You know, he's almost just like a Bogut, and I feel like, why don't you Bogut their Bogut, and you, as Ray likes to say, Tim O'Fay. Do you have any <laughs> love for Tim O'Fay like Ray and I do, especially what I've been calling for, you know, or do you think he doesn't really get much light? I'm wondering why he hasn't gotten more minutes, and the only thing that I can think of is I think Mozgov is really, his strengths are in the half court. Offensively and defensively. And I think, I, I'm thinking, you know, I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm, I'm guessing that they're reluctant to play him because they, they feel like they're, gonna, they're giving up too much because the game, you know, fast breaks, you know, uh, frantic offense, that he's kind of a liability on both sides of the floor with, with more of an open game. But, but I think you're right. He may just have to get put in there just to make things difficult to kind of dictate terms, you know, like as Tal said, dictate terms to Golden State to make them try to adjust, you know. But 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 I think I think that's the reason why he's not getting many minutes is just in the open floor or playing against a team that fast breaks a lot that he's kind of a liability, you know. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I would agree with you. That's that's probably the right assessment. It's uh, you know, I I hate when the like you know, look, we're a part of the media, but I hate when I hear other media members say, "Oh, Lou's not playing him because he was a David Black guy." Are you kidding me? Like, you think like, uh, anybody really think this. the coaches don't play a player that they think could help them because it's someone else's guy? Like that uh, stuff like that is not the finals. Not in the finals, they don't. Not in the finals. No, no, definitely not. I, I think also stuff like that. I mean, I, 
I'm like, man, I'm going to take away your press pass for foolishness like that. I hate when guys, you know, just <laughs> come up with these uh, things yeah. just to, to say it. Yeah, um, that's, weak. Yeah, that's weak, weak analysis. I agree. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I think, you know, before we just, you know, beat it all up, I'll, I'll say this. I think and I hope, like you do, that, you know, we have a series. I, I originally went with Cleveland at six. Um, you know, most people have had the Warriors. You know, my, I said my heart was with the Cavs in six, and my mind took the Warriors in seven. But, you know, I'm sticking with my Cavs pick. Um, you know, Ray had the Warriors. But one thing that you have to notice, and it, it wasn't a big deal. Maybe people didn't think about it. I mentioned it to Ray. But, like, after the whistle blew and Curry went up to just, you know, shoot a shot, you know how a lot of guys like to shoot jumpers or, you know, Curry went to go lay it up. And when LeBron kind of yeah. went over and blocked it and punched it, I, you know, I, I think we're underestimating maybe the annoyance that LeBron feels and the disrespect that we've, that's built up over the last two years of Under Armour, the commercials, the back-to-back MVPs the love, the admiration, oh, Riley Curry, the, the, he's a great father, he's the golden boy. And, you know, some have said that some of this, uh, Hank, and you could you know, probably even have a thought on this, some of it is, you know, a little Spike Lee school days, right? That these guys yeah, more, you know, yeah. Steph and Clay being light-skinned, and some people don't think that they're tough, they don't look the part whatever, but I still think some of it is more about LeBron. He's not ready to pass off that torch, and he's still trying. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you remember Detroit, Chicago, Boston. There was, you know, you you earned the title. Where the Warriors, they just kind of skipped the line, right? They were like, oh, excuse me, San Antonio, Miami, Cleveland, OKC. Uh, Here's Golden State. You know what I mean? Like, they just, like, jump in and cut the line. And I think LeBron's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He couldn't do anything about it last year. He surely did try, right? He didn't have his dog. But I think now he's like, excuse my French, F that. I am not. And that's why I think you're going to see one of these games where he goes off. He hasn't done it yet. Last game was pretty impressive. But I still think he can drop a 38- to 43-point game if he feels that he has to. You know, so just, I, you know, just keep an eye out on that because I, I like that moment. When he blocked that shot, that told me, like, come on, Curry, don't try to play me. You know, don't play me, not at my house. I'm tired of your act, you know. The funny, the funny, you know, and I agree with you 100%. What I will say is, and again, I, I think we need to put this Golden State Warriors team in historical perspective. They are really, really good. And they are so unique in the way they play that it's hard to play with them. It almost, and this sounds crazy, right? But it almost doesn't matter how good LeBron James is. He needs his supporting cast more than ever. Because against this team, LeBron James is not enough. And no player is enough. Look at Kevin Durant. Look at, look at my, uh, uh, Westbrook. No player and no two players are enough to beat this team. So LeBron can give you 40 and eight assists, four rebounds, you know, uh, six <laughs> steals, and a couple of – still, this Golden State Warriors is going to score 100. I mean, uh, they got blown out and they scored 90. But, right, on a regular basis, if they're healthy, they're scoring 100, 110 points. So 
I mean, sure, it helps to have LeBron on your team, and they wouldn't be here without him. But his supporting cast, he needs, I come back to three, four, five supporting cast members playing well in every victory. Well, we we got another caller. I'm going to bring them in. He, uh, he's, he's down with the strength and numbers crew, but uh, he needs to give Cleveland some props. I think we got O, old Luke from D.C. Oh, what happened in game three, Oren? Hey, what's going on, fellas? And are you worried? <laughs> and are you worried? Huh? I said, what? Are you worried? Tay said, what happened in oh, game three? And I said, all. are you worried? And not at all. I mean, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, I clapped for them. They had a great game. I mean, I saw Jim Brown in attendance. I saw the city really captivated <laughs> to get them to win. You know, the tributes, I said they have to win this game. They, they, You know, they had all the energy. J.R. Smith showed up. But I think tonight may be a different uh, situation. But, uh, you know, I think that LeBron has to do more. I don't think that he's being as aggressive as he should be. Yeah, I think they're relying a lot on Kyrie Irving had a fantastic game, but J.R. Smith, he's good for one game and then a subpar game. So, you know, when he has that subpar performance, who's going to step up and get, and get the rest of the weight? And uh, Clay Thompson, the Splash Brothers haven't turned the water on yet, so I'm not worried yet. <laughs> but wait, wait. I'm, but I'm with you all. We haven't given Cleveland credit. Defensively, they are also part of the reason why they're saying, let everybody else beat us, right? We want to double-team, over-rotate, fight through the picks to prevent the Splash Brothers from doing their thing. And we all know, as ball players, look, if somebody's going to hit a 30-foot shot, you can't stop it. But in general, they've been over-aggressive against the three-point shot, and I think it's working. So I wouldn't stop that. What are your thoughts about that? I, I don't know if – I think that they've been – the games have been where it's not so much that the defense has been. I think the, the decoy effect of Thompson and Curry has been effective, but individually they both haven't stepped up yet. And I think that nobody is doing it that way. So I don't think it makes. I'm not going to fall in the category of thinking that Cavaliers are going to shut down Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. I don't see that happening. I just think that they came, they were intense, they had their backs against the wall. This is a must win game for them. And they perform, but now it gets to the people who overachieve somewhat, can they do it again? That's that's the one thing I wonder is right. You know, can they duplicate the effort? LeBron, I still think he he's trying to get people involved a little too much, in my opinion. I think that it's good to have extra firepower, but you have to bring it yourself and set the tone. And he did that in that last game, and I give him credit for starting out strong, but. I'm still not worried. I think it's I, I called game five, remember? Five no more than six. This is what I thought was going to happen. They can't lose at home. The Golden State, if the trend continues, they're still going to beat them. But they can't lose. Let's see the Cavaliers. They have all the pressure. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's put it this way. So I, I think you and I are on the same page, but what is the formula? All right, so other than LeBron, right, if you're Tyron Lue, what are you doing differently, or do you just follow the same game plan in game three and hope that your guys can keep up their intensity? No, I think what he's found right now, you got to stick with this. What The game plan from one and two obviously wasn't that effective. 
Um, you got to stay with this if I'm Tyron Lou, and I, I think that um, Jefferson gives them a different dynamic that uh, Kevin Love can't match. Uh, so I think that you have to go with that for right now. Uh, on the other end, I think that they still do what they've been doing. It's just that you know these games they have wild sways to them, but it, you know each game is pretty much been convincing. So it's kind of like almost each one is, is the same type of game. Somebody's going to get beat. You know, but that's what I would do if I was Tyronn Lue. I would just keep. I would not. I would not change up from what I did this last game. I think it worked, and make and see if it works again. Did you see all the all the old time players started to get real defensive? Right, Magic was like, "Yeah, my my Lakers would beat this team." Kareem Abdul-Jabbar couldn't be guarded by any of these cats. Uh, James Worthy, you know, it's funny how Golden State is. Well, that thing is Michael Thompson NBA. said that backing up his son, right? Right. I mean, that's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're shaking up the NBA. The game. <laughs> well, I love these teams. guys, but, I mean, let's be honest. Depending on – I don't even know if the rules matter. Curry and Clay would get their points, and Cooper could, you know, play some good defense. But at the end of the day, I think with Worthy and Kareem, I mean, listen – you couldn't play Draymond as center with Kareem. You know what I mean? Kareem, is, it was just, it'd be too much. I, I don't think this Warrior team would beat the Bulls with Jordan and Pippen in their length, throwing Rodman, Ron Harper, the boys. Either way, this is an all-time great team, but I don't think this Warrior team is better or could handle uh, the Bulls, the best Bulls team, or the 87 Lakers. It might, even not, might not even beat Larry Bird Celtics with Mikhail Parrish, Ames, Dennis Johnson. You know what I mean? The, the only thing I will say is from a mathematics standpoint, threes are worth more than twos, right? So, yeah, <laughs> I agree that, that this team is not nearly as good as those teams. But just tactically speaking, if they hit 40% of their threes, right, that means you need to be hitting 60% of your twos. So, wait, but but wait, Larry Bird and Danny Ainge and, and Dennis Johnson would shoot more threes. Remember back then, those guys didn't shoot that many threes. If Larry Bird takes 15 threes, he might go 11 for 15. That's true. And so, <laughs> and I think because the game has changed that you'd have to find a way to either punish them inside and foul everybody out and be so efficient from the floor because when they're on their game, they're defending and they're hitting threes at a rate that we've never seen before. So, you know, the, the league will catch up to them, but I think they're in this transition where the league hasn't caught up to them yet and nobody really knows how to, how to deal with them. And, mm-hmm. and that advantage of the three versus the two, that's a big deal. So, like, Kareem dominates, right? Let's say you don't foul him. He dominates and he shoots over, over Draymond Green, and he gets that easy shot, that's okay. Steph Curry hits a three, you're up, 3-2. You know what I mean? Yep. So it has something to do with, with the way the game has changed with that three-point line. But 100%, uh, I think the – The bigger question, team, is it bad for the game? Two, one, for the current game, it, it's fool's go, right? Ask Daryl Morey and the Rockets, who Kevin Durant just said, hey, I'm not going to sit down and meet with the Rockets. I wouldn't either. But – Look, other teams think they can try to play like them. You can't. These guys are special. By far the best shooting backcourt ever. We would all admit that. 
but is it bad for the little kid? You know, my, my, my seven-year-old wants to be Curry. All these little kids want to be Curry, but you know what? <laughs> you can practice all you want. You can't guarantee not just a great handle. Everybody can kind of improve to have a superior handle. But some of that shooting, it's practice and repetition, but there's millions of people that can, you know, put up a 1,000 shots or whatever and this and that and still will never be able to shoot as good as Steph Curry. So some of it is just God-given either way, you know, coordination, hand-eye, whatever it is, him and Clay have got it. So is it bad for the game almost the way it was bad for the game where everybody wanted to be like Mike and just try to be a dunker and lost their fundamentals? What do you think about that? I think, I think it is. I think it is because here we talked about this a little bit in the NCAA tournament and also in the beginning of the playoffs. When Steph Curry and Clay Thompson – shoot 25-foot jumpers, that's a bad shot, okay? These guys are phenomenally talented and have unbelievable eye-hand coordination. And maybe for them it's not. But for any other mortal, do not shoot a 25-footer. Don't even practice it. It's a bad (laughs) shot. You shoot it if the shot clock is going down. You shoot it in desperation. You shoot it if you have to. Do not shoot a 25-foot jumper. If the three-point line is at 21 feet, you shouldn't be shooting 25 feet. Every inch you go back behind the line, it becomes a more and more difficult shot to the point where it's like a 20, 25% shot for most people. So it's terrible. So if, if these guys <laughs> nowadays are causing kids, you know, in high school and college to shoot these far, far behind the three-point line, now granted you're, you're, you're probably more open, but it's a bad shot. And so, yeah, really people is. are going to get into these bad habits. These guys are supremely talented. You should not be shooting 25-foot jumpers. I'm sorry. Uh, so, listen. Go ahead. Go ahead. What, go ahead. What were you going to say, uh, or Hank? I, I was going to say, I, I, I look at it a little differently. I think that the one thing when you see uh, the players like the, the Stephs and, and Thompsons right now, especially Steph Curry, like more people can relate to that. Everybody doesn't have the attributes to dunk, which is the other thing of, of playing. Not everybody has the height or the jumping ability to dunk. Everybody can shoot a jump shot. So I think that when you look at what they can do, you, you know your barrier. You should, that, okay, I should be shooting a 28-footer or, or, or I should get in a little closer. But at least he develops his work ethic, I think, is, is, is good, that he works that hard. He does that much practice shooting. That, to me, is good. And, and that's good. that, to me, is a good message there where other people are blessed with more height and physical abilities. That's a great point. I mean, look at the national championship. Chris Jenkins basically carried Villanova to a national championship. He's 6'4". He has no business playing his his position, but he's such a, an unbelievable shooter that that gives him an advantage against, you know, bigger players that can't guard him laterally. So, so look, it's always good to, to bring back shooting, right? I think at a certain point, the NBA, about a couple years ago, I, I joked, I was like, J.R. Smith is the new face of the NBA, right? Dunks in three and no <laughs> in-between game, right? But now people are actually thinking, okay, if this little six-foot-180 kid can be the two-time MVP, um, I need to work on my jumper. I need to work on my, you know, jumper and my, my ability to finish my driving, my, my mid-range game. You know, I, I think it's a good thing, right? Shooting has always been something that, you can always work on, and everybody can always get better at during the summer. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. 
Real, real quick, because we're going to have to wrap up the show. Hank, who wins tonight? And Oren, who wins tonight? Hank, you go first. I think Golden State wins tonight. I don't think that Cleveland mentally can have another game like they had. Okay. Is it a blowout? Is it close? I mean, what's your feeling? No, no, no. I think it's definitely close because they're on the road still. So it'll be close. But, uh, yeah, I don't think Cleveland can win. Okay. Oh, what do you got? I have Golden State tonight, and I have a 110-100 game Golden State. I think – Curry, I think the Splash Brothers turned the water back on, and it's going to be a, a dynamite show tonight. Okay, Ray, what about you? You know, oh, Luke, we didn't talk about this before the show, but I have the same exact thing except that I have LeBron making another free throw, so it's 110-101. Winnie, uh, <laughs> really, we didn't talk about this. You In guys my are mind, funny. I was thinking to myself, I uh, see a nine-point game. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. <laughs> You're funny. I'm gonna say 107-103 Cavs, and LeBron has that 21 point second half, winds up with about 35, uh, 10 and seven. Kyrie will drop about 27. I don't know if Love is playing or not. I haven't seen it come across ESPN. Either way, I don't think it matters. A uh, couple minutes left. Ray Belmont Stakes. Who's winning the battle between Exaggerated and Nyquist? Does either one of them get two out of the three Triple Crown and win win this race at Belmont Stakes in New York? So it's, it's so hard because the Belmont's the longest of the Triple Crowns and nobody's ever run this distance. But I'm going to say Exaggerated wins back-to-back. You know what? I'd have to agree. I think Nyquist actually winds up coming. Uh, and third and, and show and, you know, throw it up to anybody else for second. And then as we bid adieu to the, you know, the, the Stanley Cup and, and fade out with that, I mean, we'll get back to the baseball. You know, Mark Trumbo and, and, and David Ortiz, MVP pace, going crazy. The Cleveland Indians are trying to help the Cavaliers and say, hey, we're in first place now, so Cleveland sports are rocking. That's great. But Stanley Cup – Give props to San Jose, uh, Ray. They came out ball busters 2-0 before you could say anything, and they win, what, 4-2 over Pittsburgh. What happens in game six when we come back Monday when we still have the series going on? Do, do the Sharks win again at home to force a game seven, or does Pittsburgh close them out? I think the Sharks are chipping away at the armor of Murray. Uh, they, yeah. have, they found a weakness on his glove side and they're going to keep peppering him. But despite all that, I think the, the Penguins win on the road. I think they win a close game, 3-2, and they take the Stanley Cup in San Jose. I'd have to agree. I was going to say 4-3 in overtime, but I do think, and, and not just that they find the weakness in Murray, they're finally being more aggressive, right? Sort of like Cleveland taking it to the hole and penetrating. They're being more aggressive and getting more shots. Dwight Washington the other night. So we'll see what happens with that. And then obviously, you know, listen, game five will be on Sunday. Oh, no, Monday. So we'll be able to talk about it Monday night. Monday night, night yeah. And O might, might join us. Everybody have a great sports weekend. Just re- remember the amazing words from Phil Clinton and Billy Crystal and, and just honoring the champ and the greatest Muhammad Ali. And that we all have a little bit of that compassion and kindness in us. So let's, you know, take our inner Ali out to the rest of the world and share it. 
And, uh, hey, like always, thanks for listening. And have a great sports weekend. I got the cash tonight. Let's do it. <laughs> Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Peace. Out. Let's go, Cavs. Let's go, Cavs. <laughs> oh, my yay. Rest in peace, Ali and Courtney Howe. Gone rough.